Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. And we're in part two of a series called Walking in the Way of God, or Walking in the Will of God. It's really important for us to uh, look at a few things that that we're going to look at this morning, because finding God's will for your life is probably the biggest, most daunting thing that any of us face. It's like, what does God want me to do? I just don't get it. Like, I, I, I believe God has a destiny or a plan for me, but I really don't know what God wants me to do or how God wants me to walk or how my future is. And it can be one of the most frustrating things to try to find the will of God for your life. Will I or won't I? Should I or shouldn't I? Should I move? Should I stay? Should I go? Should I walk through that door? Is that a green light or a red light? And all of these things uh, can really frustrate somebody. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I certainly have. And then you get people's opinions. Don't you love it when somebody has got an opinion and uh, the opinion's different from your opinion? And opinions normally I don't pay much attention to, to be honest. Uh, I don't, you've got an opinion, great, that's your opinion. It doesn't bother me whether you thought Pacquiao was going to win or McGregor. And uh, I thought Pacquiao, so, you know, I was right. Uh, it doesn't bother me whether you think MMA is better than Jiu-Jitsu or boxing is better than whatever, or Holden's are better than Ford's or Ferrari's better than Lamborghini or whatever. That doesn't bother me, those kind of opinions. But sometimes opinions are very, very important. And sometimes I don't want your opinion if you're not qualified. If you get diagnosed with something's wrong with your brain and somebody with an opinion is going to make the decision to operate or not operate, but they happen not to be a doctor, or maybe they're a GP, but they're not a brain surgeon, or, or, or maybe you're about to invest in something really big and somebody's got an opinion on which way the economy's going, the, the share market is going to crash or it's going to go through the roof or the bubble with uh, housing or whatever, whatever, your opinion doesn't matter to me unless you've got a qualification to cast that opinion. Now, I am so thankful that the opinion on the will of God comes from God. And one of the things that people tend to cast an opinion on is that if you're going through trials and hardship and you're struggling, then you must be out of the will of God. Job got a lot of that. Go and read Job. It's amazing. All of his, his friends, Bill Dad and Hey Dad and all of them, they, they were giving their opinions uh, on whether Job had missed God or not. Job, Job's wife chimes in as well. An opinion is only as good as the qualification of the person giving the opinion. This morning's message, I've entitled it, You Are Your Future. You are your future. Uh, We're going to look at the life of a young man. He was 17 years old. He got a vision. And in that vision, he uh, saw the the sheaves out on a farm, the sheaves of of wheat. And his sheep, sheave rather, was standing straight up and the other ones were bowing down to it. And those represented his brothers. And he was upright and, and, and he was the leader and he was exalted. Then he has another dream, and he sees the sun, the moon, and the stars, and there's 11 uh, stars that bow down before him being the sun. And and he interprets that dream 
incorrectly because he's only 17 years old. And he doesn't understand that what it, what's it going to take to get to see that dream, which he doesn't interpret properly because he's immature. What he doesn't see is what it's going to take to see that dream come to pass. And what it's going to take is that Joseph, that's the young man's name, that Joseph has to become the person that he saw in the future. There is no shortcut to your future. If you take a shortcut to your future, then you've just cut yourself out of the most important part of your future, which is who are you going to become? It's, it's in your becoming that your future becomes. You see, your past, you made it, a lot of it, because you became that, you lived that, you were that person that forged out a lot of your past. The person that you are now has determined to a big degree where you're at right now in life, what you're doing, how successful you are in many, many different areas is because of who you are in many, many areas. Your future is only going to be as good as you become when you step into your future. Now, that's really good news to some and really bad news to other people because we want a free ride. We want to blame. Last week, we talked about uh, blaming the old nature that it was the sin. It was the devil that made me do it. No, it was you. You did it. And you put faith in the old instead of putting faith that the old is gone and the new has come. I'm not going to bomb that target because we bombed it last week, but I really do encourage you again to go back and, and get the message and open your Bible up and read these things and look at these things and personalize and appropriate these things because you will become a, a better person. You will become the future that you want to have. You are becoming that future. I think a, a, a lot of things I see in life, I see as setbacks, but God's actually causing set-ups. God's actually setting you up by what most of us would call setbacks. And I'm talking about opposition. I'm talking about people that oppose you. I'm talking about contrary situations, bad things that happen to good people like you and me. I'm talking about betrayal. There are many, many times in life where even best friends betray us. And what we need to understand is that all of these things, God is orchestrating these things to work out. He's not causing the person to betray you, but he's causing you to become bigger, to walk through that, to learn how to walk through opposing situations and betrayal. And people is the essence of the character of Christ and who you're becoming. To learn how to forgive, you have to be betrayed. To learn how to exercise faith, you have to have opposition or there's nothing to exercise faith on. If everything was just a, a bed of roses, so to speak, and it's just like, well, I just go out every day and I just pick the fruit off the vines and there's no opposition. Everybody loves me. Nobody hates me. There's no opposition. Well, what do you need faith for? You have faith and your faith works. Useless, dead faith doesn't work and it's useless, but the faith is in the obstacles, but it's also to see that God wants you to become a much bigger person so that you can have a much bigger future. God's got a great future for you. He's got a big future for you, but to step into that big future, you have to become a big person in God. I'm going to give you three things that we can look for. Joseph had a vision. Vision just simply means to see. 
And I want to give us three things that we can train our eyes in or train our vision in so that we can see things that most people don't see. Most people see betrayal as this awful thing. Most people see uh, a closed door or losing their job or, or something bad in the economy or whatever, whatever. They see it as devastating. But I want you to train your eyes this morning to see that as your opportunity because your obstacles are your opportunities. These things are there not to set you back and not to destroy you. They will make you and they will set you up. It's not so much what's happening to me. It's what's happening for me. And I want you to see that God is for you in all of these areas. I'm so excited about this morning's message because I believe that you're going to walk out of here way different than you walked in here. You're going to walk out of here with your shoulders pulled back with a big spirit infused by the spirit of God. Enthusiastic and looking forward to these things that are out there challenging you that have been beating you up over the week. They're not going to beat you up anymore. You are going to beat them up and you are going to grow up as a result of these things. Now I'm going to give you the first of these things and these all are all things that we, we need to learn to look. And, and the first one we need to look at who's working for me? <laughs> who's working for me? I remember listening to a message by a preacher named Jerry Seville, and he was in New York City, and he got a hold of a lot of what I'm talking about here. I didn't get this message from him, but I remember this story, and he realized that all of these things that are going on that were contrary to him, and all these people that had done all this stuff to him, and all this opposition and everything else had made him a really strong person. And he realized that all these people we're working for him. And he had this revelation and he was walking in and thinking about it. He's thinking, yeah, that person that betrayed, they were working for me. They were working for my best interest. They didn't know it, but they were actually furthering me and causing me to grow. And he's standing on the curb in New York City trying to catch a, a cab. And, and, and it was like this rush. It was rush hour. Everybody wants to catch, hail a cab. And, and he hails this cab, and the cab stops. And he's the first one in the, in the rank, so to speak, in the, in the line to catch the cab. And this businessman with the million-dollar suit, the million-dollar tie, the million-dollar watch, the whole deal, he comes running up. And he goes, man, if I don't catch this cab, I'm not going to catch this flight. If I don't catch this flight... Uh, I'm in trouble. Uh, I just need this man. And so Jerry just goes, yeah, by all means. And everybody behind, New York's a different kind of a city. And if you've ever been there, you kind of know that. And people are going, what have you done? We've all got to catch flights too. We've all got important meetings. Get in line. But Jerry lets this guy take his place. And then somebody asks Jerry, do you know that guy? And he goes, yeah, he works for me. And I think that's really important to realize that these people are agents for your promotion. They are there to promote you and propel you into your future. They are not your enemy. So many times we see people that cut in front of us, and I think oh, the times I've driven and you're on the highway and things are happening fast. You don't, you don't have time to think about it. You're going over here, 100 Ks an hour, whatever it is, and somebody cuts you off. It's like, what are you doing? If you're anything like me, you tend to talk a bit. 
Well, you're talking to yourself. They can't hear you. They got the stereo pumping, and they're whipping past you, and they, they just cut you off. And it's like, I don't care. But you're like, you're consumed in the cab of your car with that person. It's like, what are you doing? You're all flaming. Now, I don't swear, but you do, so. Uh, and you're upset. But maybe, just maybe, instead of yelling at yourself because they don't hear you again, maybe it's God teaching you to slow down and pray more. Maybe it's God saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, that person did the wrong thing, but you can use that to learn something called patience. Just maybe you could become a better person even though some pushy person cut you off. Just maybe you can become a bigger person because that's who I want to put into a bigger future. Maybe you could be that person. I think about Judas. Judas, he betrayed Jesus. But if Judas wouldn't have betrayed Jesus, there would have been no crucifixion. And if there was no crucifixion, there would not have been a resurrection. And if there would not have been a resurrection, there would not be redemption for you and for me. So in effect, Judas, for us anyway, what a great guy. What a champion. <laughs> Thank God for Judas. Thank God for the Judases in your life. What I've learned and what we need to train our eyes in is to look at these people, not as our enemy. In fact, Jesus goes even further. He says, you need to pray for these people, man. You, you need to pray for your enemy. Do good. Do good to those who despite you and, and, and use you and abuse you and talk bad about you. Don't, don't enter into the same spirit that they're operating in. Enter into my Holy Spirit. Use this, use this to your advantage. Don't see them as a tool either because they're not. They're just people that need Jesus just like you did because everything that Judas did and everything that anybody else did, you've probably done it too. I have. So I don't look at them as the enemy. I look at them as the agent. I look at them actually as my friend. They're working. They're working for me not against me. I could tell you so many times where I was betrayed, I lost my job because of somebody. I remember uh, driving for a limousine company in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and these two um, people were <laughs> running the company, and they kept giving all the best fares, because it was like a taxi at first, to their friends. And I'd be sitting there, they had different zones. You wouldn't make much money unless you got to a further zone, all the further zone, the best, the best fares went to uh, people that they knew. And they were corrupt. They're taking money under the table, cash in the hand, doing a whole bunch of stuff that I knew about. And I'm thinking, I'm just going home really upset. Well, the company went bankrupt. And because I had driven the stretch limousine, uh, someone that knew about that, and they appreciated my service and the way that I treated people, not grumbling in the car because of what these two people did that bankrupt the company, 
but treating the customer just as good, even if I didn't get the fare that was going to pick up the most profit for me. Looking at, looking at my attitude has to go up to meet my future. If my future is going to be bigger, my attitude has to be bigger. If I'm going to get a pay rise permanently, I need to have a pay rise. I need to have an attitude rise. And, and, and this person picked up on that and they go, hey, that stretch limousine, I know who bought that and he's looking for a driver. He happened to be one of the richest people in Tulsa at the time. I went in, interviewed, got the job. It was one of the best jobs I had while I was going to Bible school. I'd pull into McDonald's. I'd get the best positions in parking places because of that stretch limousine. I'd get to study in the car. Uh, instead of like working, washing dishes or doing something else that some of the other students were doing, I was driving a Cadillac stretch limousine with a television in the back where I could watch Monday night football and get paid for it. How good does life get? That's the promotion that God gave me, but it happened through opposition. The problem also presents incredible possibilities. The problem also presents incredible provision. So Joseph had a vision. He had vision, but he didn't have provision. And God led him through an incredible journey, which we're not going to go into in any depth, but it's incredible. It starts in uh, Genesis chapter 37, ends up around Genesis 50, and you can read that whole, that whole journey that he went through. His brothers sell him into, uh, the, the, there's a caravan of marauders coming through, and uh, his brothers see the opportunity. They put him in a cistern, a, a big uh, tank that's normally filled with water in the ground. There's no water in it. They shove him down in there, and, and then when this, uh, this caravan comes through, they go, hey, why don't, we don't want to kill them. Why don't we just do this? Why don't we just sell them, get some money? So they got 20 pieces of silver for it. They get them, they sell them to these marauders. They take them into Egypt. He gets sold into Potiphar's house. Potiphar's like the CEO or the first officer and the command for, for Pharaoh. And so he gets in there in that household and he's prospering. He's, he's in charge of all the things that, that, uh, that, the, that the officer has, Potiphar. And then Potiphar's wife kind of takes a liking to him. She sees, man, he's a good-looking young guy. And she goes, ooh, you know. Uh, uh. And she says, why don't you sleep with me? He goes, no, I could do that. My boss has entrusted me with the goods of all of his house. I couldn't do that. You're the only thing, really, that I'm not in charge of, and you're his wife. Heaven forbid. And so he's pushing back, pushing back. And then one day, she grabs a hold of his tunic. He runs out. He's innocent. She accuses him uh, of, of coming on to her. And, and, and so then he goes from Potiphar's house. Now he's in prison. And he's in that prison. And I like the fact that Joseph never gets bit. There's no mention of him ever lowering himself down to his situation. There's no mention of him crying, belly aching whinging, complaining about his situation. Oh, I'm sure people have an opinion about him, but he is able to shake off their opinion and follow the plan. He starts to grow all the way through until he hits 30 years of age. So we're looking at 13 years later now. And there he is. He's not 17 anymore. He's come into his own. He's, he's come into manhood. And two other people are in prison. One's a baker and the other one is a cupbearer of Pharaoh. They both have dreams. 
he interprets their dreams. He doesn't take his gift and go, well, you know, if it wasn't for my gift of dreaming, my vision, I wouldn't be here right now. My, my gift got me in this stinking prison. Do you think I'm going to interpret dreams or have a vision? No way. But he does quite the opposite. He interprets their dreams. And the first one, the cupbearer, he says uh, to him, basically, you're going to get restored. You're going to be back there as the cupbearer of Pharaoh. Everything that you did that landed you in prison, don't worry about it all going to be good. You're going to be back there in the palace. Woo-hoo! It gives him a timeline. And so the baker hears this. He goes, what about me? I want one too. And his prophecy for the baker is basically, you're going to get your head cut off. You're going to be put on a pole. <laughs> and you're dead. The same time frame that, that the cupbearer is going to get exalted, you're going to be executed. How good does life get? So he gives those prophecies. Now, sometime after that, Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh doesn't know what that dream means. And so he calls on, guess who? The one in prison that he heard can interpret dreams accurately. Joseph is about to get promoted. He gets promoted to the right hand of Pharaoh. He is in the highest position now in the land. He was in a pretty high position with Potiphar. Now with Pharaoh, he's been promoted right. You can't get any bigger than that. And he interprets that dream. There's going to be seven years of prosperity. Then there's going to be seven years of famine. He executes or he gives a plan rather to, uh, to store up wheat so that when the famine hits after seven years that we're going to be sweet. And, and, and then his brothers, the ones that sold him into slavery, they catch word that there's provision in Egypt, that there's grain silos in Egypt. They don't know how all this happened, but they're desperate. And so they go to visit Egypt to try to get this provision. And we're going to pick this up in, verse, uh, in chapter 45 and, um, and read this encounter, because I, I think it really does bear out something amazing for us in our future. Why, why did the friend betray me? Why did the employer let me go? Why didn't they get promoted? Why did doors shut? Betrayals, persecution. Why is this happening to me? It's happening for you. These things are painful, but you need to know who's working for me. And so in, um, in Genesis chapter 45, Here we go. I'm going to find it. I know it's in here. Genesis chapter 45. <laughs> it's in there somewhere. Yeah, verse 1. There we go. Because my second point is this. Look at who's working with you. My first point, look at who's working for you. Now I want you to look at who's working with you. In Genesis 45, verse 1. And then Joseph could no longer control himself. So his brothers come. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And he's, he's just trying to control his emotions. Now, you would think, what, was his, what would his emotions be? These twerps sold him into a life of hell. You would think it'd be like, oh, I know who you are. Oh, you don't, know, you don't recognize me. I know you. This would make a great Liam Neeson film. <laughs> Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And it's the first time it mentions that he cries. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. 
tells everybody except the brothers to go. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept, get this, he wept so loudly. You can imagine, he's howling. He weeps so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, this is one of the most touching moments in Scripture. This is, this is like mega moment. And he says, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Oh, baby, have the tables turned on us. Ah, this is like the worst thing that could happen. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Ah. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, <laughs> the one you sold into Egypt. Imagine that. Oh, gosh. Verse 5, though. Look at verse 5. And now, do not be distressed. This is, a, this is the attitude of a big person that's going into a big future. This is what God's calling us to be big people, to rise up. You want to know what your future is? You're it. But you've got to become that to, to inherit or to get that, to take that. And so he says, he says, and now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Look at who's working for you, but look at who's working with you. The Bible says in another scripture concerning the church, it says, the Lord working with them and signs and wonders following. You see, Sometimes you feel real, really alone if you're anything like me and you get betrayed or you, you lose your job or something bad happens in, in life. The, the tendency is, I just feel so lonely. It's like I'm all alone. Nobody understands. But there's never a moment where you're all alone. Yeah. If you're with Christ, then he's in you. You are never alone. The Lord working with you with signs and wonders following you and propelling you through that situation that you are going through, setting you up for a promotion. This is not a setback. This is a setup by God. These things aren't happening to you. They are happening for you. Amen. You got to look at who's working. Train your eyes to look at who's working with you. Look at Genesis 45, 7. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you as a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. I love that. Number three, third thing to look for, to train your eyes. Look for who is working in you. This one here, we're, we're going to... Uh, finished with it, but look at verse 8 of chapter 45 again. So then, verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Huh? <laughs> we, we sold you. We put you in a pit. We, we, we got 30 pieces, 20 pieces rather of, of silver for you. We, 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 we set you up 
to fail. Basically, you're as good as dead. We left you there. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. And I love these next three words here, and I just pause on that. He made me. I know it's not. There's no comma or full stop after that. <laughs> he, he made me. That, that begs the question, who's God making you right now? Who are you being made? Into whose image? And, and your future? What are you being made for? No opposition. No need for faith. No need for big character. And really no need for a big future either. Because for a big future, something really important, God needs a big person to step into that. How big do you want your future to be? That's how big you have to become. That's the whole purpose. It's why I love church so much. People, well, I don't have to go to church. You're right, you don't. You don't have to grow. But you get to come here. You get, to get, you, you get to come here, not for your sake. You're not a black hole drawing all the light in, but you get, to, you get to come here so that you can be a giver and you can help somebody else that's down and discouraged. There are so many opportunities that happen when God's body gets together collectively so that we can, together, we can minister to people. We can have a big future for this church. We can go into the community and be something big in the community to solve big problems but God says, you got to be big. Each one of us has to change. We, our attitudes have to go from a taker to a giver, from a victim for all these terrible things that happen to me or happens to the church or whatever, to, no, these things are there. They are there. God, God is orchestrating something big, and I get to be part of it. I, I walk out of here sometimes going, thank you, God, so much. I met somebody that just needed a pick-me-up, an encouragement, a, a word, and you chose me of all people. You've got to be kidding me. So listen to this. You see, success in the, in, the, in the face of opposition, it takes courage. Uh, I remember in, in Joshua, I'm not going di di to digress to that, but in Joshua, Joshua was about to cross over, uh, you know, just like Joseph was doing something. Joshua did something. He says, God says, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you. Look at who's with you, because courage comes from Christ. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 50. And I want to read this bit here. It's just impossible to grow in faith without opposition. Verse 15 of Genesis chapter 50. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, this is like uh, sometime after that, they go back, they bring the provision, they tell their dad, Joseph's alive, and um, now their dad is dead. They, they begin to think, maybe the only reason that he's been nice to us and kept us alive is, is because of Jacob. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Now, whether he did or not, I don't know, but probably not. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. I can imagine them getting together, drafting that letter. No, 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 we need to add that. No, change that bit. 
Please forgive the sins of the servants of God, your father, the servants. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. I don't know whether he wept because he thought, why are they still lying? They haven't changed one stinking bit. They're still the manipulating bunch of liars. But God chose them to be patriarchs. Figure that one out. His brothers then came uh, and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I love verse 20. It's quoted a lot. It's a great scripture. This, this kind of summarizes his, the, the whole attitude of you are your, your, your future. You intended to harm me. Let's just not cut. Let's just cut to the chase. Let's just not pull any punches. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, verse 21, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. With the problem came provision, and it came through Joseph. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. How many times do we speak kindly to people that betray us and treat us very, very badly. How tempting is it not to speak kindly to those people, but to just be rude and, and operate in the same spirit? God, open our eyes to see who's working for us on our behalf. God, open our eyes to see who is working with us. That's you. And most important, God, open our eyes so that we can see who it is that's working in us. For a big future, you have to become a big person. Amen. I'd like our worship team to come up, and I'm going to pray for you. There is no better place for an opinion and I'm talking about a qualified opinion than the Word of God. The wisdom in the Word will point you into your destiny like nothing else. And the opinion that you're missing the will of God because you're going through something right now or somebody's hurt you, betrayed you, you've lost your job, whatever, that opinion has to bow its knee to the Word of God. Because God's opinion is what really matters. You might be here this morning and you're facing some of the very things that we talked about. And it hurts. It does hurt. I know. I've been there. We're not talking about denying that. We're talking about calling God to come in to that hurt, that void even, for some of you, as only He can through His Holy Spirit. All the bad things that happened to you that kind of got you to this place where you're at right now, only God can show you that, and the choice that you make is who is going to get you into a great future that I have for you. Your character will grow. But the Word of God is the one place that you need to get your opinion. God's opinion of you is 
He is for you, not against you. He loves you unconditionally. He, he will cause all things to work for, for good to those who love him. In God, everything. Give thanks. In God, give thanks for everything. In, in everything, rather, for this is the will of God for you. So why don't we, with our heads bowed right now, if you're watching uh, online, if you're watching this message, wherever you're at, if you're listening to it through podcast, and you can, why don't you take a moment right now and start to thank God. Thank God for the people that betrayed you. <laughs> oh, that's a hard one. I know. Thank God for the people that abused you, if you can. Father, give people here the power of total forgiveness. Lead us into that, Lord. Start to thank God that you got passed over for that promotion because there's probably another promotion that's way bigger in your future that you can grow into by being a bigger person and holding a grudge toward people that passed you over. Start to thank God for the person that fired you, let you go, or those people or that decision. Because I believe you'll look back and you'll go, if that wouldn't have happened, then this wouldn't have happened. If this wouldn't have happened, then I would not be where I am today. And God has promoted me. And thank God for that. They meant it, perhaps, not for your best good. But God turns that all around. I want to pray for you if you don't know Jesus. You're listening or watching right now. I always give this opportunity for those that don't know him yet is Lord. And uh, I wonder right now if you can just get in a quiet space. You can close your eyes if you can. If you're driving, don't do that. But if you're in a place where you can bow your head and close your eyes, if you're here right now, why not just do that? Have an intimate moment with God. I want to pray for you to give you the opportunity to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and also the power to forgive, to let go, to shake it off, to move on, and for your eyes to be opened that you can see who's working for, with, and in you right now. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you right now for every person that's here, every person that's watching or listening online. Spirit of God, move. Mend and heal the brokenhearted. Give vision where there is no vision. Stir up something on the inside of every one of us. And I'd like to give you the opportunity, if you want to pray after me, say, Dear God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to come into my heart, to wipe away my sin, give me a brand new life. Jesus, give you my life. Amen and amen. Why don't we all stand? Give the Lord a hand clap. Come on. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, 
then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.